Hey, welcome into episode number 17 of No Character Limits. I am your host, Greg Esposito. I'm really excited for my guest today, Zach Clark. He's the host of the Zach Clark Show on ESPN Tucson. You can hear it from 3 to 6 p.m., and he's one of my favorites down there in T-Town. But I am even more excited because we've got our first sponsor for the podcast. That's right. No Character Limits has a sponsor, and that sponsor is Audible. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com/ncl. That's audibletrial.com/ncl. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from on your iPhone, iPod, Kindle or any mp3 player and i know that a lot of you listening here on no character limits are big arizona sports fans so you know what? i went to audible.com before the show and i took i perused a little bit at their catalog and you know what you can get and and i love this book and, and i love the author of it jack mccollum real great guy i've had the privilege of talking with him before and interviewing him you can get seven seconds or less my season on the bench with a run and gun phoenix suns chronicling that exciting time and and we barely remember those because it's been so long but those exciting times with Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion and the rest of those Phoenix Suns. You can get that on audible.com and you know what? You can get it for free as a listener to my show right now. You just go to audibletrial.com/ncl. You get a 30-day free trial. You get a free audiobook download from my friends at audible.com. Thanks to them for sponsoring today's edition of No Character Limits, and this is episode number 17 with Zach Clark. Here we go. Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of No Character Limits. I'm your host, Greg Esposito, and this is the show where I talk about things I find interesting with people I find even more interesting in this conversation without restraint. I'm excited for today's guest. He's a guy that uh, I got a chance to know through Twitter, even though we happen to uh, go to the same college, the University of Arizona, both alumni from Camp Student Radio, but he's a few years younger than me. I won't tell you exactly how many. He is Zach Clark, the host of the aptly named Zach Clark Show on ESPN Tucson. You can hear it Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Zach, how are you, my friend? Greg, I'm doing so well. It is a pleasure to be with you. I've enjoyed this podcast at its inception. I'm honored to be with you. And I'll tell you, it's a little different. Usually, at least in our past, I have been the host and you have been the guest. So it's nice to flip things around a little bit. Yeah, it's really nice because uh, now I can cut you (laughs) off and uh, and tell you when this is over (laughs) rather than you uh, kicking me off air. So. God See, bless it. I don't have one of those fancy producers, though. Like I call you, and I don't. Have, I don't have this intermediary that that's a go between. I'm the one making the calls, doing the legwork, running all the equipment, and talking uh, at the same time. So I don't. I don't have that uh, cushy radio life like you. Well, I'd be glad to ship Stacy up north, and he can spend some time with you, and and you can suffer the same way that I do every day with he and I in our little box. I'd be happy to ship him up north for you. No I, I problem. Think, I think it might be a little weird in my uh, home studio and my home office to have a producer <laughs> that just hangs out in here. I, I just, that, might, that may be weird. I don't know how your wife would take that. It may be a little unusual. Especially seeing as we do this once a week, so it might it might be very odd for uh, 
for anybody <laughs> involved to just have to sit here and wait for the next time I uh, I do something. So. Well, that's basically what Stacey does here anyway. What's the difference? <laughs> you guys let him live in the studio? That's so nice. For those <laughs> of you that don't know, live in the studio. For, for those of you that don't know, Stacey is Zach's producer, and uh, he's yeah. the guy that uh, always uh, would give me a call back in my past life when Zach would actually have me on his show because I'd had some value when I was credible and not just some guy with a show on the internet. I went back when I uh, had credibility. So Stacy, uh, yeah. Stacy was the producer. But you're way more fun now, so it's all good. It's all good. I'm still waiting for the invite to, to have Espo Unchained on the uh, Zach Clark show down on my old stomping grounds in Tucson. So uh, we're going to have to make that happen over the summer. Uh, we're going to make that happen. We'll bring you down. We'll have some fun. You can see what it's like. Uh, now that you know what it's like in Tucson, you certainly do. But how things look on our end, I, that's going to happen. I, I promise I'll reciprocate. It, it's going to happen. It sounds good, my friend. Let's actually start down in Tucson. Because there's some uh, some... Pretty big news uh, for you guys down there. The Coyotes have decided to purchase their ECHL team from Springfield and move it to Tucson. Uh, they've yet to be named. Uh, from what I've heard, they've yet to reach a 100% agreement on the uh, the arena. But it sounds like the team will start playing down there next year. Zach, what are you hearing about this? And uh, do you think this is a smart move for not only the Coyotes but for the city of Tucson? Well, let's start with, is it a smart move or not? I think for the Arizona Coyotes, you've heard Anthony LeBlanc speak on this a couple of times. This is a no-brainer. You've seen hockey out west, the National, League, the National Hockey League franchises have begun to shift and move their affiliates further west. And it, it makes total sense. If, if, a, if the Coyotes want to call a player up, they've got to ship him across the country on a flight that could take three, four, five, six, seven hours there was an instance, I believe it was last year, where they had a goalie. Either he got sick or he got hurt. It was one of their backups before a game, and they had no way to get somebody else in uniform. They had to sign a guy off the street. And he didn't play. You know, it's a third-string goalie, whatever. But the last thing you want to do is a franchise, is a professional franchise, is the highest league in this country. It's to have to sign guys off the street because you can't ship people back and forth. So having their AHL franchise 100 miles south on the I-10 is a no-brainer. And they want to draw fans to the Coyotes in Tucson. They want to create more fans down south. I get that. And, you know, but really they want to be proximal. And that's what they're going to get. They're going to get the convenience of not only having their own AHL team, because, and Greg, as you know from your past life in the NBA, that not everybody is connected with their D-League franchise, for example. Some teams are 1-1 where they have complete control. Others have simply an agreement. And that's what the Coyotes had. They had an agreement with uh, the team in Springfield. Now you're going to see them having full control from how they're coached, how they practice, what they eat. The Coyotes will have full control over their farm system so they can better breed future Coyotes the exact way they want. So I think from that standpoint, it's a no-brainer. And do they want to make money? They do want to make money. But I think from the Coyotes' standpoint, Greg, that making money for them on the, on the AHL is secondary. Now, as you know, as most people know with sports, money is always at the top. It's never secondary, but I think their main focus is having the ease with which to transport their players back and forth. From Tucson's standpoint, I think it makes a lot of sense. You say, well, Zach, this is Tucson. It's hockey. It doesn't match up. And it may not, at least in totality, but the TCC is a huge building. And they've, put, they've already put some money into it. Now have to put some more, about $3.6 million, which they have agreed to do. So it looks like it's going to happen. But you'd love, a, one, they'd love a permanent resident. 
in that building, something that can bring people downtown on a regular basis and, and hopefully can bring you some money as well. And also, you know, Tucson is the largest city in America that has no professional sports. And I think that that just shouldn't be. I know that everybody loves the Wildcats and they'll always be top billing, but there are plenty of transplants in Tucson that are salivating over the thought of hockey. So I think on the front side, it'll be a big boom and it'll probably level out over time. But I do think that it is a smart move for everybody around if it's done properly. The city of Tucson has to give themselves some guarantee that the Coyotes won't pull after a couple of years and the 10 million bucks that Tucson sunk into the building goes unused and, and they're getting those guarantees. I think this does happen. I think you'll see the next month or so that, that the city um, and one of their little ancillary products, Rio Nuevo, which is in charge of downtown and, and uh, helping downtown flourish. I, I think you'll see between Rio Nuevo, the city of Tucson, the AHL and the Coyotes. I think you'll see this all come together. It's a short time frame. Um, things have to happen now, but it seems like, that everybody that's involved here wants this to happen. And I'll tell you, Greg, I was really surprised by that because for the folks that pay attention to what happens at Tucson Sportswise, the local government has not been too friendly with some of the things that have happened baseball-wise. It hasn't been all their fault, but they didn't, I don't think, did their part in totality to help last time. So I was really skeptical this would come through. But over the last few weeks, I've talked to people in Phoenix, people in Tucson, people in the government, people in the sports sector. And Greg, I, I do think that this is going to happen. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. All right. I, I actually am going to, you talked about money. I'm going to find myself because I said it was an ECHL franchise and it is of course <laughs> an AHL franchise. I had the old Phoenix Coyotes of the ECHL on the brain. So forgive me for my, for my misstep there listeners. But the thing that, that worries me, I worked for the now defunct Tucson Sidewinders uh, for yep. my time in college. And it was tough to draw 1,500 people out to a baseball game during the summer when there was nothing else going on. You're talking about an, an AHL season that's going to align with U of A football, U of A basketball, uh, U of A hockey even is going to overlap somewhat. Is it is it going to be able to build a fan base down there? Because in my experience, the city hasn't supported much outside of outside of U of A. And I think that's a really fair question. And But I, again, I think the answer is yes. And if you look at it a couple different ways, the first thing you mentioned was that it was the summertime. And for those of us that live anywhere near the state of Arizona, we know that it's really, really hot. And I know that, that it's hot no matter what you do, so go outside, have to fun, watch a baseball game. But you're not going to have to worry about the temperature outside. You go inside, it's always a little chilly in an ice rink anyway. But the weather has no factor on this. So I think that's a positive. If you're running a sport in the wintertime, you want to be outside. You want to have that weather because it's nicer. But with baseball in the summertime, it's tough. It's tough. So I think that not being in the summertime helps. Now, I agree that if you have to go head to head, if you go toe to toe with Arizona football, Arizona basketball, you are probably not going to come out on top. But, you know, the arena holds 7,000 people. And oh, by the way, I think the arena location is important. Greg, as you remember, you had to drive a little bit outside of town. I never thought it was all that far. Now, depending on where you live, it could be further. But it, it was and still is, Tucson Electric Park is still outside of town. They call it Keno now. But it's, it's outside of town. You've got to drive a little distance. So it's not right there. There's not a whole lot to do around it. The TCC is smack dab in the middle of downtown. And Tucson's downtown 
whether it be because of the streetcar or a craft beer explosion or better restaurants, whatever it is, downtown Houston has drastically changed in the last five years. It's somewhat conducive to let's go have dinner, let's go have a beer, let's go watch this hockey game. So I think that those two things will help. But, Greg, you saw it firsthand that if people don't come, it doesn't matter how good of an idea it is, it doesn't matter how much fun it is, it doesn't matter where it is, if people don't come, it's a problem. And, and I think that it's fair to ask that question. The TCC holds 7,000 people, like I said. I think that at first, if you could draw four or 5,000 people because of the newness, the novelty of it, and then if it dips a little bit, and then if you can get it to two or 3,000 people a night, that half full, which at times the university can do, and the level of hockey would be much higher, I think it's manageable. I, I, I won't say for sure that it will work from that standpoint, but I think that this has a little more going for it than the baseball did. And I know that's hard to believe because Tucson and Arizona are such a baseball-centric place, and hockey feels like it isn't. But I, just, I think the novelty of it, the location of it, and if the planning is right, I think it can work. It's a viable alternative. Look, I, I like you, and you mentioned earlier, I went to Arizona, and I love the cat. But every once in a while, I like something different. I don't eat the same thing for dinner every night. And I'm not saying I'd skip a cat's game to go to a hockey game. But if there was an alternative, you know, on an off night or on a different night, I would love to go. Something different. And I'm different. I'm from the Midwest, so I grew up with hockey. But I do think that there are a lot of people that are like me that live here. And so I think, Greg, that it has a good shot. I, who knows? Time will tell. But I like its chances. I really do. I'm just glad to hear that in the 10 years since I've been gone that downtown has more reasons than I got in trouble with the law to go downtown. I like that. That's good to hear because there wasn't a lot of reasons to go down there when I was going to school there. So you bring up TCC there. And uh, mm-hmm. when I, when I went to school down there, that wasn't exactly, you know, a building that, uh, it wasn't exactly a building that would be conducive to, to pro. Yeah, it was a complete dump. That's I was trying not to offend anybody in Tucson listening, but yeah, there was. It was a complete dump, and even going to watch U of A hockey there was mm-hmm. very difficult. I can't imagine a pro team being in that building. Has the investment in that building been enough to fix it, or and will this additional three million you were talking about make it even better? And I'm totally with you. The TCC, a couple of years ago even, it was a dump. It was old. It was a relic. And, and Tucson, the city, had vacillated on what they were going to do with it. There was talk of building a brand-new expo center and then ultimately getting rid of the TCC. There were talks of doing full-scale um, remodeling, which in part has happened. But before this last hockey season, so like 18 months ago, they sunk about $8 million into the building. They redid the seats. They improved some of the concourse. There's only one concourse, one ring on the top. And they added a video board, which when you go to a hockey game and you can't look at the video board, it's almost impossible. And again, for club hockey, you don't spend $2 million bucks putting a board in a building. But for a minor league hockey team, you would. So that $8 million renovation had gone part of the way to getting things done, especially from a fan standpoint. Now, you mentioned there still need to be more in this three point, uh, I think it was $3.8 million that is going to happen now is for what I would call back of the house stuff. It's for locker rooms. It's for offices. It's for training facilities. It's to make sure that the ice surface is of better quality. One of the big problems that we've had at the TCC is that the ice quality has been poor because there was no sustainable way to keep the ice frozen. And I know that sounds crazy, but I mean for long periods <laughs> of time. So after games, it would melt, it would reset, it would melt, it would reset. 
So now they'll be able to keep one sheet of ice and they'll keep it cold and they won't have to worry about the changing and things like that. So I do think that, Greg, that these will be enough to make a difference. Now, that's only on the front side. That'll get, that'll get the HL team in the building, but they will expect down the road for more things to happen. And you got to have, when you look at, I'll use the Suns, for example, they have the, the arena in which they play, and then you walk around the back a little bit, and what do you find? You find practice courts. Well, you don't have that here in Tucson. There's only that one sheet of ice. So I think what will happen eventually is something that will be a little ancillary will be a second sheet of ice, and maybe that will be a mixed-use, um, privately funded slash city-funded um, arena that maybe have maybe you have two sheets of ice and a sport court or three sheets of ice and no sport court, but something that the community could use as well as the AHL. So this first, uh, I should say, the second renovation, the three-point-whatever-million-dollars, will get a team in the door, but they'll need more down the road to keep them there. So I think ultimately the answer is yes, but there's still more to go. All right. Can we actually talk about a city that matters? Sorry. I, I, I lived in Phoenix for so long that, uh, that I've kind of, I knew that was coming. I, I've, I've had that happen. I figured you were expecting it. Uh, Diamondbacks. All right, let's get into this. I don't want to go, uh, wholesale onto the Diamondbacks. I want to talk about one specific guy, Shelby Miller. I, I know you, mm. I know you don't have your doctorate, but let's play one on a podcast and, and it may be psychologist that we need to play with Shelby Miller. What is wrong mm-hmm. with this guy for the la- two starts before, before last night, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. He, he couldn't get out of the second inning. Now he goes five innings, gives up five runs. Looks like a mess. Uh, again, what is wrong with this guy? They've invested so much in terms of trading for him with the Braves. Now he's not living up to being a number two starter. He's barely living up to what you'd expect from an end of the rotation starter. What do they need to do to get this guy right? And you're absolutely right, Greg. His performance, you look at the five starters, his performance is by far and away fifth, and it's not close. His ERA is verging on almost nine, and he gave up five runs in five innings. You can't have a guy giving up a run and inning. And the way that it's been for him in, in, in those five starts, are you willing to lose every fifth game? That's what I might have to ask themselves until they can figure out what is wrong with him. And, again, I'm no expert. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a pitching coach. But when I watch a guy over a course of a few years throw the ball the same way year in and year out, and then I see in the next season, which is this one, his delivery is completely different and his numbers are tanking, I have to wonder – why his delivery is different. Is it because he's trying to relieve pressure or tension on his arm to make it last longer? Is he already hurt and trying to pitch around something? Did somebody pull him inside and say, hey, Shelby, I see the way you pitch. Have you ever tried this? That last one seems pretty unlikely, but I don't know because look at the drop-off and it's been precipitous. And I know that Jack Greinke didn't pitch well at first either, but he is able to show that he is on his way to, I don't want to say redeeming himself, but that his earlier starts were a little fluky. And he's not a guy that's going to have a, a one, two, five ERA this season or anything like that, but he can still be effective without changing too much. Look at Miller, and I don't know. And now to me, the question is not only what's wrong with him, but what do you do with him? And I guess that question is answered when you know exactly what is wrong with him, but how long are you willing to let him go out there and dig himself deeper into a mental hole of frustration and if he is hurt or something is bothering him, do you let that deepen? And he started last night. Do you, I'm not suggesting he goes to the DL because he might not need it, but I wonder, you have to do something to disrupt his streak of performance. Something has to change. How you change that, 
I don't know. And again, I think the real question is, why is he throwing the way that he is? What happened? Is it something that he decided to do? Something somebody told him to do? Is it a preventive method? Is he injured? Greg, I wish I knew the answer to that question because I'm flabbergasted. The Diamondbacks gave up a lot to get this guy, and they gave up a lot to get Zach Greinke too, but they gave up cash to get Zach Greinke. And in sports, money doesn't grow on trees. I understand that. But you can, you can shell out more cash if need be. When you give away prospects that they did, including last year's number one overall pick and Danby Swanson, you cannot get those guys back. So to me, the Southern Miller acquisition was more costly in what they gave up. I know that sounds odd because of the $206 million that Zach Ricky got. But again, the pieces that were moved to pick him up, he has not come anywhere close to that. It's early. It's 22 games into the season. He's had five starts. But all five starts have been the same to me. Chip said last night he looked better, I guess. Until the meltdown, he looked better. But they've got to do something. And, and taking him out of the rotation may not be it, but at some point they've got to think about it. Well, I, I sure as hell hope that he didn't make this change willingly because I, I haven't played baseball since Little League, but I know as a pitcher <laughs> you're not supposed to scrape your hand on the mound. Not a real effective way to get your job done. The scariest thing about it is the best he's played as a Diamondback was when he was in left field in an extra <laughs> innings game, and, and he had to make one throw from out there, and it was the best throw he made since he's been a Diamondback. And you're 100% right. They gave up way too much for this guy uh you know in aaron aaron blair who just made his M- major league debut andrew inciardi who was a very good outfielder for this team and then dansby swanson who some people thought w- had the potential to be the next Derek jeter in major league baseball and you give up three top guys for shelby miller who very well may have to be uh, you know, like you mentioned, uh, put on the DL to try to figure out what's going on with him. It, it really feels like it's a mental thing with this guy, and and that's that's the scariest because that's the kind of stuff that can ruin careers. Physical, you can fix. You know, mental, it, it becomes a lot more difficult. And the the more you pitch like this, the more it gets in your head. I mean. We've seen guys have to switch positions and, and become outfielders. And, you know, Rick Ankeel, I mean, mentally, yeah. he couldn't pitch anymore. So it's it's really scary when you give up as much as the Diamondbacks did. And I said this from the beginning. This feels a lot like the two th- after the 2011 season where the Diamondbacks saw glimmers of hope that maybe they didn't expect the previous year, and then they pushed their chips all in into the center of the table, and it wasn't the right time or it wasn't the right guys that they picked up. This is, this is worrisome, and if he does not get it right soon, it could prove to be one of the, one of the worst deals in, in franchise history because – you're looking at a guy like just just look at Dansby Swanson. If it were one for one, the potential of that young man, it it becomes very very worrisome. And people were killing this trade when it happened before they even saw this version of Shelby Miller. It's that much worse now that we've seen the way he's been pitching. Yeah, and and you talk about baseball being a team game, and it is. But as folks that watch baseball know that to me, pitching is not really a team game. You're on a team, but it's 1v1. It's you and the batter, and you're right, Greg. Once your mental space is shaken, it's really hard to get back to center. And, and also, you mentioned the, the, the rotation causing his fingers to scrape. That, I wonder if that hasn't affected the way he throws the ball. If, if, if he's able to grip the baseball properly now, you just don't know. And, and 
one of the things the Diamondbacks had been uh, criticized for in the past is selling their farm system. And, and before Tony La Russa took over and the way things had gone in the past, they saw no value in their younger guys. They would sell future to get now, and it didn't work. And so Larusa comes in, and you think, okay, maybe that'll change. But they traded their last two number one overall picks, Dansby Swanson and Tuki Toussaint. They have still given up prospects, not all of them, but they've given up a lot of prospects, even with Tony Larusa and Dave Stewart here. I just don't always understand that. And I will say this, though, the caveat is, I have a really hard time criticizing Tony La Russa about baseball. <laughs> it's, it's very hard for me to sit here and say those kind of things, but it's true. It, it, I'm puzzled. I don't understand it. Look, I don't mind trading prospects because the biggest four-letter word in sports is potential, and more guys don't live up to potential than do in sports. But it's all mm-hmm. about picking your time when to use those assets to acquire guys and making sure you're acquiring the right guys. And this is a situation where I'm not sure the timing or the guy was right, and that's what makes it bad. Because there's a chance Dansby Swanson doesn't doesn't become anything. I When I was down in Tucson uh, working for the Sidewinders in, in 2005 and 2006, there were three guys on that roster. Actually, uh, yeah, there were three guys on that roster, maybe four for part of the time, that were praised as the future of the Diamondbacks. Carlos Quinton, Sergio Santos, who was a shortstop, uh, Chris Young, and then uh, and Connor Jackson. All right, These guys, high draft picks, all touted as the future of the Diamondbacks, Everybody thought they were all going to be great. They they ran through the PCL in 2006 and won, won the AAA title. None of those guys amounted to much of anything in the major leagues. Carlos Quinton had a few years where, where he hit the ball very well, but then was a blip on the radar. Sergio Santos never actually made it as a position player. He became a relief pitcher. So you see a, a lot of great talent. You know, in the minors that never develop, but I just, God, that so much, uh, so many guys you gave up for a guy I'm not sure is the right guy at a time I really don't think was the right time to go all in. I know you don't want to waste Paul Goldschmidt's uh, prime, like the Cardinals wasted Larry Fitzgerald's prime, but. I just I don't think they were quite ready to try to go all in with this team. Too many guys had career years last year that you probably couldn't bank on doing it again this year. And I get it. They're they're all right. They're around 500. It's not a lost season. But these were the kind of moves between Zach Greinke and Shelby Miller that a team that legitimately thinks they can win a World Series makes. I don't think this Diamondbacks team is is in that conversation. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, that you, what you said there at the very end is most important, that these are the kind of moves you make when you're on the cusp. Maybe you maybe you missed the playoffs by a game or two. Maybe you made the playoffs and got knocked out in the wild card round, right? And I think then you make those moves, take you to the next level. And you say, well, how could you not be ready for big-time talent and you know, all pieces holding together? And again, ultimately, this move could be okay. It could be. We don't know. But when you look in the immediate, I, I can't tell the future. I can tell you what's happening right now. What's happening right now has not been what's best for the Diamondbacks because I think if you look at it, they're 11 and 11 right now. I think they'd probably be 11 and 11 if they didn't make both of those moves. And I think that is most indicative of the trade itself. 
Yeah, and I, I think the Zach Greinke deal will work out at least for yeah. the first two or three years of that deal. You never know when a pitcher gets older, the back end of, of a deal like this. Uh, Pedro Gomez of ESPN told a good, my good friend Brad Sessman on the Brad Sessman show today that there may be some health issues with Zach Greinke, possibly an illness uh, that that could have kind of slowed him at the beginning of the year. So that makes me feel a little bit better about Zach Greinke. And you know a guy that has pitched as well as him over the last five years will find his footing. But Shelby Miller is a different story. So we've talked Shelby Miller, we've talked the Diamondbacks, but you and I like to have fun. We always joke around, whether it's on Twitter or when I've been on, on your show. So I want to I wanna have some fun with these next few topics. I threw this out to my Twitter following uh, earlier in the week, but if you, Zach Clark, were general manager and czar of all things Arizona sports, and you could trade the Cardinals, the Coyotes, and the Diamondbacks to San Antonio in exchange you get the Spurs championships, their pedigree, and their luck for the Phoenix Suns, would you make that deal? Wow. So I have to give up everything else in the Valley to make one person happy? Oh. Yeah, you trade. You basically say, okay, San Antonio, you, you want to be a big league city. We've heard it. We, we've seen your sports talk hosts talk about it for a while. We'll make you a big league city, but you got to take our string of bad luck, and we'll take your good luck for our original team in the Phoenix Suns. Would you trade places? Well, I think, oh, man. You know, I, I look at it two ways. And I've I've only been to Phoenix many times, but I'm not a Phoenician. I've never lived there. Um, I would say that the Suns are probably the most near and dear to the hearts of Phoenicians because they are the original franchise. They didn't um, they necessarily weren't borrowed from somebody else or or shipped somewhere else. So I think that the Suns have intrinsic value for that reason. But Greg, the NFL is the driver. And I wouldn't trade the Cardinals for anything, not not at all. And again, the Suns have had their their good runs, and the Cardinals have definitely struggled. But man, that facility at Glendale is beautiful, and the Cardinals are on the uptick. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Would you? It doesn't surprise me that you would say that. You're not a Phoenician. You're younger, and Twitter kind of played out that way too. For, you know, honestly, that, that tends to skew younger. It was 56%, oh, hell no, I wouldn't make that trade. 44%, absolutely. And younger people from the Valley tend to only know the Cardinals as being good and the Suns as not being as good. So it doesn't surprise me there. And the whole NFL is king only took over in this town in 2008 when the Cardinals made that Super Bowl run. So that doesn't surprise me. But for me, a longtime lifelong Phoenician that grew up here when the Cardinals were bad, before the Coyotes arrived, before the Diamondbacks arrived, and when you add in the fact that I completely hate the San Antonio Spurs, so if I can in one foul <laughs> swoop erase the fact that they won any titles as well as get those titles for me and get the success that their future looks like it'll have, I do it in a heartbeat just because I have such an affinity to the to that Suns team long before I worked there, and even though after I worked there, uh, as trying as five years could be, uh, I think I'd have to do it because it's it's just it would mean so much for for the Suns to be a dynasty, and I really think it would mean a lot more 
to the Valley, then a Cardinals championship, or then the one Diamondbacks championship that we've had, or, or keeping the Coyotes. The Suns were that first love, and it would exercise basically 50 years of demons that this city has gone through. So I think I'd do it, and, and I, I don't think I'd have much hesitation to do it either. Yeah, no, and your logic being the way that it is, it totally makes sense. But it, like for me, like I said, I'm new, relatively speaking, and the NFL I look at as a dominant league across the country. So I made a more, I want to say, uh, educated decision, but I didn't. I don't have any gut to go with. So well, I think that's where I'm different. But but look, I look at it this way. I can steal an NFL team from another city like I did the first time. So I can always get back <laughs> in these other sports. You know, like, yeah, the Raiders are looking for a home. The Raiders would love to come to Phoenix. Exactly. The Chargers, maybe, if, if they decide they can't get a stadium there and they don't want to share in L.A. Like, I think I could make the other things work. I can't probably figure out a way to get a championship in the NBA to Phoenix because a lot smarter men than me have tried to do that and have failed. Uh, some guys uh, have have lured franchises here, but they haven't figured out how to get a son, the Suns a championship. So that's the reason I'd go that way. I got another one, too. Uh, threw this right. poll out to my fans earlier today on Twitter. Who would be the best Arizona sports running mates? We've heard uh, some, uh, some political candidates uh, naming their running mates for president. What duo would be the best running mates in Arizona or Tucson sports history in your mind? Well, I, I saw your poll earlier, and for, for soundbite quality only, I'm taking KJ and Charles, just because I want to hear Charles go out and give stump speeches. So, so give me Charles Barkley all day, every day. No question about it. Right. The options I gave were Barkley and KJ in 93, Warner and Fitzgerald in 09, Nash and Amari in 07, or other. And it was pointed out very quickly to me that I forgot probably the most successful duo in Arizona sports uh, history, Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. So I, I would, I'd actually probably go the same route you did and go Barkley-KJ because they captured the Valley's imagination. But, yeah, you're going to get Charles Barkley delivering stump speeches on the regular. I want to hear that. He's a walking soundbite. But that... Johnson Schilling uh, pairing probably would have been a close second because you're probably going to get some crazy stuff out of Kurt too, or as we've seen uh, in the last couple of weeks as well. Probably more cringeworthy than you're going to get from Charles, but uh, uh, it, that would be an interesting pairing too. The thing that surprised me, and this is another young person thing as well, was the Twitter poll was Nash Amari won with 48% of of. 119 votes uh, so wow. that that surprised me but that's probably another recency bias thing where these young kids on there only remember god i sound like i sound like uh, clint Eastwood in grand torino telling people to get the hell off my lawn but uh you know it really i think it's that recency bias where they remember those guys they don't necessarily remember uh, you know, Barkley and KJ, or even probably Schilling and Johnson. So I, I find I find that interesting that we agreed there. But let's get into a couple quick topics, and I'll let you go. As a guy in media, you know, you're looking at the landscape changing, not only in the industry you're in in radio, that's dramatically 
changing, and I think will continue to, but you're also seeing it from an ESPN. It looks like cord cutting is hurting them. They lost Mike Tirico. They lost Skip Bayless this week. Uh, Tirico going to NBC Sports. Rumors are Bayless will wind up at Fox Sports 1. But what are your thoughts on the changing landscape in media, and do you think that, that sports media is sustainable in this digital age? I think sports media is it's certainly sustainable because as long as we have contests, there's going to be people that listen to the radio, that watch TV, that have opinions. There's going to be people like you and I that have been on the radio, that have been on TV, that have opinions. So I don't think that dynamic is ever going to change, that, that we're going to see things and say, hey, I want to talk about this. But how we do that and why we do that is certainly going to be different you know in 10 years from now is my show going to be a series of 50 snaps on snapchat as opposed to four segments an hour i I don't know i hope not because i've seen that beard in person before nobody needs to be looking at that snapchat or otherwise amen and that's again why i'm so comfortable here in the radio studio and nobody has to see me i don't see anybody else but i think that sports and sports media is sustainable though i think that I'm from Detroit, and we went through a horrendous, horrendous economic downfall. And part of it was because we had tied all of our horses to the same wagon, and that was the automobile. And when the automobile didn't evolve properly, when other people made it better, made it more cheaply, made it last longer, at least even temporarily, it really hurt Detroit's economy. So as sports media, we can't tie ourselves, I don't really think, to anything we have to be open and able to flex and and to move and and i think that people are going to be more accustomed to that i think that's harder for some people that have been doing this for a long time because you get ingrained in your ways and you want to do things a certain way but i always try to be as flexible as possible and again you know i host a radio show people have been doing talk radio for years and years and years i don't do anything that nobody's done before i've not reinvented the wheel but we have to be flexible we have to be moldable you have to be open to this option or that option. I mean, if you told me a year ago I'd be watching games on Twitter, football games, I'd say, dude, you're nuts. Why would I ever do that? Why, why, why would I even think about that? But that's what's going to happen. We're, that's, that is now. We're there. So as long as you're open-minded and somewhat malleable where you can be flexible, I think it absolutely does survive. And as far as ESPN, I mean, man, and you mentioned all those other guys. Brad Nestler goes today as well. He's going to go to CBS. I've never seen an exodus like that at one time ever in the sports world. And I think it just shows where we are today. I really do. Well, and it, it's crazy how much, uh, you know, when a company like ESPN could claim that they're, they're somewhat hemorrhaging money and that they need to get rid of some of their top talent, you know, it, it's interesting. Now, I don't know. I don't know if it's all money because if you look at in the Tarico case, it, it may have been, but you look at guys like Skip Bayless and Bill Simmons and Keith Oberman, who they parted with, those are a certain type of guy. And that and those were guys that, you know, were starting to get bigger than the four letters. And it, it seems like they're of the mentality that no one talent should be bigger than the network, which I wonder if the in the world we live in, if that's even feasible anymore. Because with social media, with different ways to connect with people, I think the talent is going to wind up being bigger than, than the distribution channel because there's so many cha- choices for distribution channels. And we talked about this around this time last year when Bill Simmons left and, and his new venture was announced. He's, he's the watershed moment. If the ringer is successful, 
if his HBO show is successful, his podcast network has already proven to be successful, it's going to prove that the power is with the content creator and that content and not with the distribution platform for it. And that could be potentially the death knell for larger groups like like ESPNs because once people realize, hey, we can be profitable and find ways to do this without the big guy to help us along, I think that's where things are going to get really interesting because you talk about different platforms, whether it be social media or these new streaming options for video. The world is getting very uh, much smaller than it used to be, and the barrier to entry to do a lot of things uh, is much smaller. A decade ago, if you'd told me that I was going to be able to somewhat, very smallly, live out my radio dream online, I probably would have told you you're a little nuts. I have to work for one of the you know the six sports radio stations uh, in Arizona and hope I get lucky and get one of the you know one of the four shows uh, you know at a ma- in a major market or whatever the case may be. Now anybody can do it. We've seen a boom in podcasts. I think it'll be very interesting. I think Bill Simmons is like I said that watershed moment for media. And things may may start to change if we see a lot of success out of the ringer and continued success out of his pot. And, and we'll see, Greg. We'll have to see what Bill Simmons does and what his progression ultimately is. I think we're a little too close to it now. It looks like he's going to succeed. But if he doesn't, on the off chance that he does not, then maybe ESPN says, we'll see, we told this. But I think ultimately you'll just see more people doing what you're doing, what he's doing. It won't end radio, but it'll give more people more opportunities to listen to more things, and I'm all for that. I don't, I don't feel threatened by that at all. I love this idea. All right, Zach, uh, we're going to end it there, but why don't you let people know where they can find you on social media, where they can listen to the show, and how to just stay in touch with all things Zach Clark. Oh, well, what a pleasure. Thank you, Greg. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach E. Clark. you got to spell Zach with an H the right way. You can catch me ESPN Tucson 3 to 6, Monday through Friday. Catch us also at ESPN Tucson Dot com And Greg, I really appreciate you having me, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Of course. It's always fun to talk with you. I hope we get to do it again soon. I'm going to I'm gonna have you on as a, a regular here on No Character Limits. So that is our show for this week. I am Greg Esposito. You can follow me on Twitter at Espo. Make sure to check out the new NoCharacterLimits.com. Some great writing from my friend Chris Trimmer. Uh, myself, we're going to add some new writers there on the blog as well, talking about social media, sports, everything and anything you want to hear about, we'll cover it there. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Please do leave five-star reviews. It helps keep the show going. Uh, you can subscribe on SoundCloud and Stitcher. also want to thank my new sponsor of the podcast, Audible. And make sure to get your free trial at audible.com, audibletrial.com slash NCL. So for my guest, Zach Clark, I'm Greg Esposito, and we'll talk to you next time here on No Character Limits.